Life comes with suffering. It's often not optional. But Pastor Ray Bentley helps us see suffering through spiritual eyes. The very fact that your life has been full of trials and tribulations and trouble is a sign that you are suffering because you've hung in there and hung on to the Lord and your faith to this very day and hour. The truth is character is largely dependent upon the experience of suffering. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. A fine piece of furniture is a tree that's gone through many trials and tribulations. In a similar way, the cutting and sanding and shaping in our lives often yields great results at great expense. Today, we'll gain a new appreciation and patience regarding the suffering we experience. James chapter 5, verse 10 says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance or the patience of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, verse... 10. Actually, in verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We talked about James saying, Look, we're accountable to God, and the day of our standing before him is soon. He's talking about even the coming of the Lord. And we talked about how from our perspective, you know, like little children waiting for Christmas and October, it seems so long away when you are young. But to adults and parents, by the time October comes, Christmas is right around the corner. And that was this perspective of the prophets in the New Testament of the coming of the Lord. A day is with the Lord as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. And we are very near entering into the third day as a millennium. And if there is a correlation, and many believe, many Bible scholars believe there is a correlation to Jesus being resurrected on the third day, and the third millennium perhaps being a corollary to the coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ and the thousand-year reign spoken of in Revelation. But here he, he uses, there, people are going through tough times. We live in a fallen, broken world. But we do know this for believers, and I talk to you as those who have come to church and to seek God's word. To feel despair, to experience confusion, to even as a believer look at the circumstances that are one way or another sovereignly allowed by God to come into your life and feel bitter disappointment, anger, doubt, question is not less than being a spirit-filled child of God. It is simply being human. If you have felt these things, you are not a bad person, you are not a bad Christian. In fact, what you feel is no different than what the prophets themselves felt or experienced. It's what you do and respond with those feelings that makes the difference. Simply put, in bad times, we as believers 
may have bad thoughts, even about God, our Father. And James knows this because he's living in the days where, again, talk about move, counter-move. There's been a dynamic move of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Jesus has recently risen from the dead. 3,000 were saved in Jerusalem of the Jews, and then another 5,000 added to them. And then Paul and Barnabas go around the Mediterranean, and in Europe, little communities and churches are planted that will transform the landscape not only of Europe, but the world and the future. And at the same time, if you know history at all, by the second century, a counter move came back so smashing and so hard and persecuting and throwing Christians to the lions and wanting to stamp it out. Because the moment you decide to seek the Lord with all your heart and make him first place in your life, as surely the enemy comes to resist and to stifle and to oppose and to persecute and stamp out and ruin and rob you of the faith and the joy that God has brought to you. So James knows this has already begun to happen in the early church. He goes, I need to give some real life examples that believers in this generation can hang on to and patiently endure. He says, look at the prophets of old. Now he doesn't mention them. I wanna briefly bring to your mind Some of you are familiar with these stories, others are not. Think of Jeremiah, Micah, Moses, David, and Elijah. Start with Jeremiah the prophet. He was faithful to God's word. And and think of this, he was obedient uh, as a voice of the word of the Lord to his generation. How did his generation respond? They threw him into a pit of mud and left him to die. But that's how they treated Jeremiah. Micah preached the truth. He was beaten up, thrown in prison, and he suffered greatly. Moses suffered great rejection. And yes, he was a prophet, the Bible tells us. David was not only the king of Israel and the hero of Israel, he was also one who prophesied. Many of his psalms and songs were prophecies about the coming Messiah. And we find him for over 10 years running for his life, fleeing, from the king named Saul. Then there's Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Big victory on the mountaintop and fire falls from heaven. And the next thing you know, Jezebel says, you're a dead man and sends her armies out to annihilate him. He runs to a mountain where he, he, he says, I want to die. Just kill me, I am done with life. And the Lord has to minister and recover his servant Elijah. And then the most famous and probably the greatest of the prophets in the Old Testament, Daniel for his faithfulness to the word of God is thrown into a den of hungry lions, though God delivered him. What I'm saying is, those are the prophets mentioned in the Bible. What you don't know, that they, but they mention in the Bible is there were many other prophets. The prophets in the Bible are only the few that were honorable and faithful and hung on to the Lord. The vast majority of them said, these guys are, are not telling the truth. And they actually opposed them and said, no, God's not coming to judge Israel. He would never send the Babylonians to come and judge us. Why, they're worse off than we are. He would never let his temple be destroyed. And they preach peace and prosperity. It is not those kinds of words that sustain in the difficult and tough times. And that's what these men did. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 through 38 gives us, it's in your notes here. Here's kind of an overview of what it was like to be an Old Testament prophet. Let's read it out loud. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. How many want to be a prophet now? <laughs> Maybe somebody else. Now, what is James' point about take the example of the prophets and how they endured? His point is, these men of God and the women of God, even in the Old Testament that God used, suffered not because they were doing wrong. They suffered because they were doing right. And I wonder if I speak to a brother or sister who's, you know, you're, you're hanging by, as it were, a thread. Because you, you know too much. You know that it's real. You know the gospel and you know Jesus and all the rest. But man, life has run you over so many different times. You're down in the dust and, and even if you will to get up, you cannot get up again. What do you do? Well, the first encouragement I have for you is that there is an easier way. Had you just totally rejected the Lord long ago, you know, you're not enemy number one uh, to the devil. The very fact that your life has been full of trials and tribulations and trouble, and I hope you take it as a sign of encouragement, is a sign that you are suffering because you've hung in there and hung on to the Lord and your faith to this very day and hour. In fact, may I encourage you, you are in good company. Many who have gone before you have felt exactly as you feel. And the truth is that character, which is very extremely important to our Father in heaven, our character, the truth is character is largely dependent upon the experience of suffering. God loves to bless his children. Trust me, and for all of eternity, you're going to be spoiled way beyond your imagination. The heavens and the, and the ages cannot contain how God's going to spoil us richly forever. But we are sons and daughters of royalty. We are God's sons and daughters. We are members of a royal family, a kingdom that shall be planted forever and ever, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means there is some struggle and battle between his kingdom and the kingdom of this world. But his blessings in our lives, our life on earth, compare life on earth to eternity. There is no comparison. And so you can't have all of the eternal future blessings now because God needs to form our character to handle the spoiling that he will bring to us later. And there is something about suffering that develops character and we grow in a way that we never do any other time. Trouble deepens our trust. Is it not true that we seldom trust in God as deeply as when we're in trouble? Why? Because we know, where else can I go? There's nothing else, there's nowhere else. As Peter said to Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. Trouble also has a way of stripping away all the secondary things out of the way that really aren't important anyway. When it all comes to the end, the only thing that matters in, in a human's life at the end is relationships. That's all you can take with you in eternity. Number one, you gotta have the relationship with God. But then you have a relationship with millions of believers and brothers and sisters. 
And God develops that character. Trouble deepens our communion with the Father. It is during trouble we, we learn how to pray. We move beyond a little class of discipleship and some academic exercise. We move into gripping, as it were, the horns of the altar and calling upon the name of the Lord. I need help. It's not a professional prayer. It's a very passionate, real, genuine prayer and a cry to God, and we draw near to Him. These are great blessings. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. At Maranatha Radio, we've received so many cards, emails, and social media messages expressing appreciation for Pastor Ray's teaching. Our family loved Pastor Ray. He was witty, kind, and demonstrated completely what it was like to have a deep relationship with God. We are grateful that our family was able to come together at Maranatha. Our lives will forever be changed because of Ray's powerful messages. We rejoice because we know Ray is in heaven. Messages like that continue to be such a great encouragement to all of us at Maranatha Radio and the whole Bentley family. If you'd like to send a message, just email us, ray at raybentley.com or post a comment online at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Now move with me to verse 11 and we'll just look at this one last example, the ultimate example of patience and suffering, the story of Job. Verse 11, he says, Indeed, we count them blessed. By the way, the word blessed means, oh, how happy. You want happiness? Endure your trials. Come to the end of them, come to the other side of them. You've heard of the patience of Job, the perseverance of Job, and seen the end intended by the Lord. Note this. God's will is not to bring you through trials and develop your character for eternity. There is an end, and the end intended by the Lord. This is where it's all heading, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. That's the end. You're going to personally experience for yourself the compassion and mercy of God. And may I say that I believe it is possible for a human being who walks with God to, when they are young in the Lord, say, I believe this about the Lord. And then, having gone through trials and suffering and the formation of character, say, I not only believe, I know. I don't just believe it, I know for a fact. I have experienced it, and it's real, and it's powerful. Now, you know the story of Job. He was the picture of success. He was uh, the most godly man. He had the biggest name and reputation in the Far East at that time. He had a healthy soul, you might say. The Bible even says he was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had a beautiful family. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys. He had everything. Many, many servants. Then we read in chapter one, God starts bragging about his son Job to Satan. God's bragging on him and Satan goes, well, no wonder he loves you. You got this big old hedge around him. I can't get to him. And he's blessed out of his socks and he's wealthy and he's rich and he's famous and he's got a reputation and you got all those kids and, but you know what? And then Satan challenged God. The only reason he loves you is all those goodies that you give to him. You take all that stuff away, he'll curse you to your face. God says, really? Okay. Job doesn't see down here, but the hedge goes, it goes down. 
Satan comes in. And one day he loses his business. He loses his real estate. He loses his servants. And by the end of the day, all his 10 kids are in one house. House collapses. He loses all of his kids. And then we read in Job chapter 1 verse 20, then Job arose. Here's how Job responded. He tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground. And then what did he do? What does the Bible say? He worshiped. Does that sound different than maybe your reaction or mine? Is that what you'd do? Okay, let's go worship the Lord. Hmm. I don't know how else to say this. I'm going to use very modern terminology, but to me, Job is a spiritual stud. (laughs) He is tough. One day in heaven, an afternoon in eternity, I want all of you to join me. Let's have a lunch or a dinner with Job and talk to him about his relationship with God. He worshiped, and here's what he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Wow, it's pretty heavy. He blessed the name of the Lord. And then he sat there and then boils came to him and and Job's three friends come and sit around him. By the way, Job's three friends, I have in parentheses, not. They ended up not being all that good of friends. Their counsel was horrible. And God rebukes all of them and says, you guys don't know what you're talking about. But I will say this, in the very beginning, they were the most comforting when they came and sat with Job and suffered with him in silence and didn't open their mouth. Then they opened their mouth and ruined everything. But Job trusted God. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And yes, Job complained. And there are some people that say, well, Job, how could Job be an example of patience uh, when he was, you know, yelling and complaining? He even got to the point where he cursed the day he was born. I curse the day of my birth. Yes, he complained. But in the midst of it, he trusted in God. In Job 19, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at the last day on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And this guy knew the gospel before the gospel had really been laid out. He was a great man of faith. We need to understand that we have limitations. We don't understand everything. We are not the final judge. And be willing to acknowledge there is a process at work bigger than me that is working toward a good end that God must know. There's a plan far bigger than we can conceive moving toward completion. And God requires we hold on to our faith and our hope in God even in those times. Now let me just close by saying there are two priceless gifts that come out of suffering and only through suffering. These will do each one of you well for all of eternity. But here's the one priceless gift, first priceless gift, humility. Uh, Job 42, I want you to turn, we're gonna close here. Go to Job 42. This is the end of the book of Job. In Job 42 verses one through four, we read about Job's humility. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? And therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. 
Ah, there's why Job is a man of patience. He admits to God, you know, Lord, I've said many things to you. I didn't know what I was talking about. What a great thing. What a humble thing for a man to say and to admit. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. You know what God asked Job? All these questions of suffering, why did I go through this, lose my kids, my job, and my career, and everything else. And God asks him, he goes, hey, uh, do, you, do you know how the universe works? you know how the solar system, and the sun, and the animals, and who takes care of all? Do you know how this goes and works, and can you control it? No. Well, if you can't understand, let alone control the physical universe that you're in, how in the world do you expect to know and understand, let alone have no control over the spiritual world? which is my realm. You need to trust me, Job. There's far too much that you cannot now know, understand, or conceive. But I have always been with you. I've never left you. Even as those three friends in the beginning were present but silent and then opened their mouths, God was always present, and he didn't speak until the very, very end. And what he said saved Job's life. He humbled him, and Job admitted it. Malcolm Muggridge is a believer that was from England, and he said something very profound once. He said, man is bad enough now, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. He's talking about arrogance and pride. How many of you, do you know a pride, prideful person? Anybody know anybody that's got a little arrogance, a little pride going on? <laughs> we all do, right? Humility is a tremendous gift. Secondly, spiritual vision. In Job 42, verses 5 and 6, Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my I seize you, and therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job not only received one of the most essential gifts of heaven, humility, but Job received even a more awesome gift. He received spiritual vision. He was able to see things after going through suffering that he never saw before. Supernatural, divine revelation and sight comes to those who have passed through suffering and who have hung on to their faith in the Lord. And now you just go, I didn't just hear this. I see it, and I know it. The world in this generation is begging for men and women who have suffered just like every other human being suffers, but who have hung on to their faith in God and have not charged God foolishly, and that have now been given humility on the one hand and spiritual vision on the other and say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that Jesus is his Son, and that he was crucified for us, and on the third day he rose, and then live in that presence and live in that power. Annie Dillard is a modern writer, and she said this, you do not have to sit outside in the dark. If, however, you want to look at the stars, you will find that darkness is required. You want to see glory? Then you're going to have to go through difficult, tough times. James closes this truth with the eternal reality, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Great encouragement for our times of suffering from the book of James. Pastor Ray Bentley leading our study here on Maranatha Radio. Now today's study is titled, The Gift of Patience. If you missed any part of the presentation, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today. 
When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under media, you'll notice three words, watch, radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. Plus, click about and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email free of charge. Plus, you'll find other spiritual growth books and resources from Pastor Ray, including his new book called The Final Witness, an eye-opening prophetic fiction novel. So many are enjoying the full five-book series called The Elijah Chronicles. You can, too. And raybentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also make a donation right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of James. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.